Hey. Happy New Year's. <laughs> New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Woo. 2013 is going to be the best year ever. It is. <laughs> oh my God. I love that meme. Okay, so today we're talking about indie sleaze. What y'all know about indie sleaze? It's so funny because my family was asking about this because I was like, oh, I have to record a podcast tomorrow. Can't hang out. And they're <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I have to do research for the topic. And they're like, what topic? And I was like, indie sleaze. And the folks are like, question mark and my brother who is a part of the generation in question that would have experienced in these sleeves in its truest and purest form didn't really understand it but once i was like oh like mgmt yeah so like party culture i was like yeah exactly i was explaining it in terms of vibes so they still weren't really understanding it and because when we talk about indie sleeves or like anything else really like if we said 2016 makeup guru era they would like short circuit probably like they <laughs> probably would not understand what we were saying but the vibes are important when you have to describe this era i think well i feel like that also connects to the article from vice that says that an indie sleeves revival is not real because i think you saying that your brother is just like you mean party culture like, that's just what it was to them. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of what the article was getting at. So if we can start by talking about that if you guys want. Yeah, very interesting article. And actually, I kind of, I have to agree with it. At first, I think, because when people started talking about indie sleaze again, or I guess, was indie sleaze, like the term indie sleaze, like a new term? Yeah, so okay. we can we can get into that a little bit too. And Paulina, you're definitely like the oldest knower of this out of the three of us. The Vice article written by Arielle Richards says that indie sleaze is the style from the mid-2000s to very early 2010s, a period spanning about 2006 to 2012, defined by provocative advertisements, amateur-style flash photography, opulent displays of clubbing, and a rise in outdated technology. And the indie sleaze term came from the Instagram account by the same name that was started in 2021 so it was yeah. named after the fact i remember people starting to talk about it last year 2022 or at least like referencing indie sleaze and style specifically yeah i was like oh yeah maybe there is a revival of it like maybe that is just something that another trend that people are like really leaning into but after reading the articles like actually no i agree because I think it's mainly, I mean, this is kind of outlined in the article also, but I do think it is mainly just a descriptor for how young adults act during a certain point, point of time, like as they're becoming young adults, maybe going to college or leaving college and like experiencing independence and embracing a little bit of hedonism since they're away from their parents, I guess. Also, as this is cited in the article, um, experiencing like a recession and financial struggle. And also, I would like to throw in um, like a polarized political climate and like poor international relations. So, you know, that's just, I think, it's just a young adult thing. Because also, my other evidence for this 
is Urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters, I feel like, has not changed really at all. Like, in the time span of, like, the last five to ten years, like, in terms of their image and their brand image and also just the types of products they sell, like, their demographic has not changed. The, you know, fit, wear and materials of their clothing has not changed the price has definitely not changed the young adult sort of way of living is pretty cookie cutter in a way i think that's what indie sleaze is trying to represent the other thing that the article kind of pushed was that it's more of an umbrella term for different subcultures so Calling something indie sleaze is kind of just referring to all the different subcultures that were at play at that specific time. When I think about 2009 to 2011 even, I'm thinking about the like bright neon colors that were showing up, the graphic t-shirts, the plastic glasses with like the lenses popped out, like that sort of image, which still falls under indie sleaze, but I think that's more of like the hipster aspect of it. And then twee is like the other side of it, which is like the Alexa Chung, dark, edgy, eyeliner kind of scene. But they all kind of blend together. And I think that was the other thing that the article was stressing was that we're kind of just using indie sleaze as a monolith to describe that whole period of time. But I also think that that's kind of not really a, the best critique to give to invalidate indie sleaze as being a prominent era of a certain decade I guess or aesthetic of a certain decade because I think we kind of create monoliths for every decade like the 80s when you think about it in like pop culture it's always like the big hair and neon colors very like mall core 80s but that's not what the entire decade was comprised of but I also I kind of got into this a little bit in the dad core episode was that in 2016, when people started like using the 80s as reference in their own clothing, I think that stems from Stranger Things, honestly. And the first couple seasons of that show definitely shatters that typical neon, colorful nylon jacket era of the 80s as being like the way that the 80s were consistently any decade that's just kind of what we do to it. We kind of just define it by one thing, even though there were a lot of different things at That's play, fair. if that makes sense. I also wanted to say that because of COVID, Gen Z opted for like a pseudo club experience. In these sleeves, like the club and going out to bars and things like that is a huge part of the scene. And I think the rise in LED lights and like decorating your room and such vibrancy compared to you know generations past that was like our primal instinct to go to the club so we <laughs> we put our we put led lights in our room to make them look club-like in a way and no i think that's fair i agree with you in the sense that like we do kind of obviously like we never lived in those in past generations that are popular you know to like analyze i guess so yeah i think we do kind of create a monolith for every generation that's fair i think also it's like the indie sleaze era is like too soon like to really grasp yet i think like honestly i feel like any need we need like another 10 years because if we want to distinguish it as like a true era like the like the 2010s or like the mid 
2000s mid to late 2000s like if you want to distinguish that as a specific era of like fashion society culture like i think we have to wait a little bit more for it to truly sink in because i think obviously this article is like pretty resistant to considering it like an era and like i said too like i think it's more just like how young adults are acting in a like specific scenario that's created by world relations and like what's happening at the time i just think we have to wait a little bit for it to truly like stand the test of time and see if it like truly like can people pinpoint that that was a specific era i think it's also confusing too because as i've been saying clearly i like to separate different eras by decade the fact that this doesn't fall into a clean decade from like 2000 to 2010 it's more 2006 to 2012 so it's not even a decade really it's like a six-year span if that but the other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about was the other thing that this article touches on that we talked about a little bit in the dad core episode as far as like micro trends go and social media was how it used to be media that was influencing fashion and now it's kind of just these people that log on to TikTok and say whatever they want are the ones pioneering this whole thing. Because like the article says, all these other articles coming out saying that Indie Sleaze is coming back are referencing this one TikTok from this one TikToker that's a trend forecaster named Mandy Lee. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of research into her and she actually is a trend forecaster. She was a writer working for like a lifestyle magazine, but wanted to work in fashion. So she transitioned into doing trend setting research for, you know, beer companies and beauty brands and stuff like that. And then the pandemic hit. So then she turned to TikTok and just started doing whatever during lockdown on TikTok and grew a following from that. So I do want to say that there's credibility to her, I think. Yeah. So these articles that are referencing her one TikTok. Which actually, the TikTok that she made is based off of another article. So it's like not just her. She's coming from with another, her own source for this. And I feel like the Vice article that we're talking about is trying to invalidate Indie Sleeves coming back by saying that all these articles are just citing this one TikToker. Even though, again, I do think she has some credibility I do think it is interesting that one person can log on to TikTok with a prediction and suddenly all these news outlets are preaching this as fact. Yeah, I mean, her claims are substantiated with evidence, I believe. Like, I think everyone kind of has an inkling that, like, there is some kind of, like, nostalgic behavior going on, especially during that time of, like, 2005 to 2010. And also, like... I think people are, especially us, like, are returning to, like, record players and vinyl, or at least collecting vinyl. I don't know if many people are buying record players, but also wired headphones. That was something that people had mentioned that was, like, an old piece of technology, which is true, I guess. And flip phones, additionally, but, like, they're buying things that look like flip phones that are, like, iPhone cases that look like flip phones and film cameras and digital cameras like those small like early digital cameras that you can buy for like a hundred bucks off ebay i've seen a lot of people like decorate them with like stickers and like keychains to make them cuter and also i think that also lends itself to like the flash photography obsession 
or it's just it's bad flash photography but it's fun because it's like an old camera and also like pseudo film cameras like laps (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is like it just adds like a film grain and like flair to the photos you take and you have to develop them like or you take the photo and it develops them for you and then you can post them on your feed after they develop which takes like 10 minutes and then also Huji cam, which isn't like a new thing, but like it's just something that's like a pseudo film camera where it's like you can take it with your iPhone and it makes it look like a film photo. But yeah, like I think that's just something that I've seen grown in popularity, especially if you are someone who's like obsessed with music. Like I think you if you like music and you are a part of a community online that likes a certain artist, like I think you will see at least a portion of that community be obsessed with like getting specific prints of vinyls and things like that so definitely is coming back in a way thrifting additionally which is something that was referenced in alexa chung's article i think during the indie sleaze era the aspect of labels and brands was not alexa says that this isn't like that wasn't a very big part of the fashion choices like you wore it because you liked it now i think people when they go thrifting though they really look for the labels the designers and i think that's you know lends itself to the reason why thrifting is like become gentrified in a way because people are looking for specific things from the store rather than just like oh you liked that shirt i'm gonna get it and the depop resellers buying up everything just to resell that completely defeats the point of that yeah i don't know if that will ever go away like people caring about the labels or where the shirt they're wearing came from and also mixing patterns and textures that was an indie sleaze era lace and leather that's something that people are bringing back fur coats as well i think fur coats were a big part of that and i've been seeing a lot of people talking about thrifting vintage fur coats or getting to wear inherited fur coats from family members that they had literally in alexa chung's book she cites a photo from royal tenenbaums of gwyneth paltrow's character margot tenenbaum wait show the cover show the cover what book are you referencing it by alexa chung indie sleeves bible literally literally i think this is a good descriptor here So she says, Margot Tenenbaum's coal-eyed, chain-smoking appearance in the Royal Tenenbaums. I love her side-parted bob and preppy Lacoste dresses. The fur coat over a tennis dress. In America, I see a thousand Margot tributes on Halloween, but that's because she's so damn cool and the look is timeless. That's so true. In terms of mixing, the mixture of preppiness with trashiness, it's usually like the fit is preppy. But the makeup in the hair is trashy, messy. It looks like you just rolled out of bed. That's the look, I think. Or at least a really popular one. I swear it was you, Tierney, that liked or retweeted a meme that I saw. I can't remember when it was. It was definitely like earlier this year or late last year. That was like bring back the 2009 trashy glitter party girl. And it was just 2009 photos of girls with like messed up makeup and glitter everywhere and i think that that encapsulates this era pretty well i couldn't find it so i actually i remade a similar thing that captured that meme's essence did you look on my account yeah i I tried looking for it but i couldn't (laughs) find it let's say you're going into a 
dark hole. It's literally Squishmallows to your knee. It's not dark. <laughs> it's not dark at all. I know, like, all my likes. Let me just show real fast. It's just me. The jelly, the jelly cat bot. I can't even see. It's just jelly cats. Yeah. I think I actually know what you're talking about because that sticks out in my mind because I do miss that. The trashy party girl. I was trying to think of who the indie sleaze queens or the trashy party girls at present are as far as pop culture goes. And I put down Charlie XCX because I think given that she was around, I would say she was around more for like the Tumblr era than indie sleaze specifically which actually paulina i want to ask you about that because to me i think the tumblr era and indie sleaze are kind of getting conflated because i don't want to consider tumblr as part of indie sleaze even though it existed i don't know that's a whole thing and we could talk about that after but i feel like charlie xcx she's recently been leaning back into that early era of hers where she's going out with like the natural hair not in her like messy era actually a little bit i think she was kind of wilding on social media just posting whatever she wanted yeah. And then also I did see I linked a tweet that was Addison Ray's Thanksgiving whatever music video video star she posted to shake it. Love that video. I saw that tweet too and I think that totally is that totally solidifies her as an indie sleaze queen. She has the trashy party girl vibe. Yeah. And I think the media hates her enough. People have to be kind of bothered with that. It, like something about you has to make you not quite perfect enough. Yeah. And I think the general public don't really like party girls, but but we do. Absolutely. Absolutely, we do. Party girl solidarity. One thing also I wanted to add, because I really, I think she is a party girl, is Alex Earl. I know of her. She's from New Jersey. Yeah, she is. She gives very clean girl, though, which I think is what... I think to you guys, I think to you guys she does, but if you follow her on TikTok, especially when no, she's yeah, in she college... No, yeah, she has it in her. Yeah. When she's no, in college, she's... she would always post videos of her getting me- being messy at bars and the club. Yeah. Even now, she posts videos. She goes to the club all the time. And she always posts videos of her there and posts video like she has many videos of her like stumbling out of the bar and things like that. I think like, yeah, she does give clean girl. I think she definitely like in terms of like makeup and like aesthetics wise, like she is very clean girl. But I think at when she's in spirit, she's a messy party girl. In spirit. Yes, I think so. Can we talk about the Tumblr versus indie sleaze thing? Because I think they're different, but I don't really know how to describe them as different. I think people are conflating the indie sleaze era with like the 2014 tumblr era because they are similar in theory but i don't they're obviously not the same thing i think for one what was interesting about indie sleaze was that there wasn't a heavy reliance on social media outside of like the cobra snakes website and like random blogs like it wasn't like you were following different social media accounts whereas tumblr was arguably like one of the first waves of like pseudo influencers and i think people are confusing the aesthetics as well which is fair because again it sort of crossed over from indie sleaze into the tumblr era but yeah i think they're two very 
different things. They're founded on very different things as well. I think Tumblr is what, for as much as I love the indie Tumblr era, that was sort of the start of what we've complained about in the past about like calling things aesthetics just based on nothing and making things into like a core everything is a core all of a sudden but they're two very different things I think also I think indie sleaze is more was more myspace early facebook yeah era yeah people still keep referencing tumblr in regards to that time which I just feel like is not like it existed at that time obviously but I think tumblr wasn't a big part of indie sleaze tumblr was a big part of the tumblr 2014 tumblr era i feel like indie sleaze is the mother of the 2014 tumblr era yeah their mother and daughter so true (laughs) again i feel silly to keep referencing this book but because we simply just were not a part of the myspace era i remember people having it though in elementary school i remember people talking about having their myspace that's crazy like That's I remember, crazy. like well, the thing is, I have older brothers, so like they. Oh, have okay, MySpace. okay. I yeah, thought yeah. you meant like your peers. No, no, no. In no. Elementary school, I, don't, I, was I mean, like, maybe, what? but I don't think they grasped what that really was. Yeah. Like I think. Yeah. Was... No, I had family members that were also like yeah. in MySpace. I remember people talking about it, so I kind of understand what it was, and I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it online. So to quote Alexa Chung once more from her book, it she talks about MySpace here and kind of. This book came out in 2013, so she's kind of also referencing the 2013 present day social media. So she said, MySpace, originally built to celebrate unsigned bands, soon transformed into a breeding ground for the dull. It was there I honed my talent for stalking people. It became a haven for me to express myself via emoticons and songs. My holding page blasted out Psycho Killer by Talking Heads. It was a place I could be boring and technicolor. Social networking is an ironic name for something that has little to do with connecting us with others and everything to do with self-promotion. It's a one-way street or a one-way tweet, if you will. I'm with so-and-so. I just did this. Weird question. Whoever decided tweets should be 140 characters long is a genius. Who knew you could tell a complete story in just three sentences? Now full conversation and convoluted stories seem redundant. Thanks to Twitter, Facebook, and MySpace, soon I shall resort to grunting, pointing, and liking as a means of communication. That brings me to another point that I wanted to make, which was that there's this sense of surveillance now that we've also talked about where I guess we've brought it up in the past as far as concert etiquette goes and how we have a theory that perhaps people in the United States are too afraid to actually dance or sing along at concerts for fear of how they're going to be perceived by others or if they're going to be recorded and then uploaded on social media and then people are making fun of them and they become a meme, that kind of thing. I think the Indie Sleaze era, having social media be less instantaneous where people weren't walking around with smartphones that had cameras in them where they could instantly upload stuff to social media. It was, you bring a digital camera if you have one, you take the photos, you upload them to your computer, maybe the next day maybe a week from then you post them on social media there's more of a process there's more work to be done with it and I think that's part of the party culture then being more freeing is because you weren't being surveilled you weren't really thinking about being perceived by people or ending up on social media on someone else's account at that time yeah 
because of that like we can't truly embrace like hedonism like we did in in these cities i mean also because of covid like i think people are more cautious about like others other yeah others and just like even being in social settings like um well actually there was another thing that i was thinking of too and this could be a total stretch of a theory but i do think that there's a pretty distinct cutoff with indie sleaze i think it died in 2012 for sure and i was thinking i wonder if it's because of the ya dystopian era because that hits at like 2012 2013 and i think that kind of the hedonism of the indie sleaze era was very much like okay we're gonna party and we're gonna live while we're young and we're gonna do whatever we want and then this YA dystopian era hits where there's a ton of media being pushed on us that's about kind of sparking a revolution of like okay well everything kind of sucks why don't we do something about it so then it kind of goes from being I guess a little nihilistic and just like okay this is how things are I might as well do what I can in this time to wait actually maybe we can do something about this and make our lives better mm-hmm. which I guess you could still argue is a little hedonistic because you're still looking out for your own self-interest but it's more of a collective thing yeah with, like a wide group of people I was gonna say like I think after the indices cut off and into the dystopian era is when our generation or Gen Z specifically, maybe younger millennials, started to be like more nihilistic. Um, yeah, that's fair. so. Um, I, even today too, I think it's just like people do live their life still. Like I think people still go out to the bars, people still club, but like there's definitely like a sense of nihilism that's like very pervasive in media and culture and society right now. I also think overall people are more politically radicalized now yeah. more than ever. So even mm-hmm. though that same clubbing, partying activity is happening, maybe in a different form, it's different because I think people are still also actively trying to change bad things that are happening in the world. Yeah, I agree. Alexa Chung states in that article from the Financial Times, Alexa Chung on the uh, polished appeal of indie sleaze she quotes indie sleaze as being apolitical or like especially like being embraced by the scene or like just the things that they were doing was seen as apolitical and now i think like nothing can be apolitical at this moment there's just no separating that i think just because everyone has become so radicalized and wants to really embrace change for the better so i think that's interesting how that is different from then at least if we're looking at indie sleaze versus now. Should we talk about the music? Yeah, I was going to say. I listen to MGMT, Vampire Weekend, and Passion Pit. Like, I am a stan. And I have been a stan for a long time. So I think I definitely, like, absorbed a lot of my music taste from my older brothers who were in college during the indie sleaze era in high school. So, like, I would just, like, get absorb all of that like because i'd hear it all the time it's funny because i feel like we have we don't have like any cur- modern references to that type of music or do you guys disagree like i feel like mgmt passion pit like that sort of like indie pop music is so like unique and i feel like we haven't replicated that sound 
And I think that's also why people think there's sort of a revival because people are looking at MGMT and Passion Pit and like just like reminiscing on how good the music is. I think the other part of it too, specifically with like MGMT, like they were just so unserious, like as a group. Like I'm pretty sure yeah. they're the band that started as a joke. Like I'm pretty sure they literally formed to be like, anybody can do this, it's so easy. And then they did it. And like, then it blew up and they're like, oh, I guess we're doing this now for real. And so they were always just very unserious about being famous, which I think time to pretend is like, yeah, like they were very self-aware about what they were doing. Because I always think about the line where they're like, we'll find some models for wives. And then they're like, then we'll get a divorce and we'll do it all again, which is like, yeah, like you kind of just ate up every rock star that ever lived. And I think the person that comes to mind when thinking about that kind of music is Hemlock Springs. Oh, so true. She's the person that comes to mind as far as like indie pop goes. I think she has a new sound. Yeah. But I think it's still taking some of the elements of this era of indie pop. That's so true. I think she's replicating the sound pretty well and mm -hmm. putting her own twist on it. But I think, I don't know if anyone's ever going to be able to do that and also have that unserious MGMT kind of energy about it where it's like not, they're kind of doing it as like a bit you know mm -hmm. i think that was the last era where and not to sound corny in saying this but i think it was the last era where indie music was actually indie before record labels would sort of try to capitalize on it which has happened throughout all of music history obviously but i think that was definitely the last era in part because like streaming wasn't huge yet going viral wasn't a big thing yet so I think in terms of the sound not being able to be replicated, like you people I'm sure have tried to replicate it, but it just doesn't feel the same. Like it just, it doesn't feel genuine anymore because I think whenever, at least in my perception of it, whenever I see bands or artists trying, like marketing themselves as, oh, we're so indie sleaze or like for any any genre, like, oh, we're such a grunge band, things like that. It's like you sound like a cover band, like you don't sound real. And so I think that's part of the problem is people are trying too hard to replicate something that they just weren't around for and that's okay. But there's more of a focus on trying to replicate something than there is on trying to be original. I'm not a musician, but <laughs> that's, how, that's how I see it. It went from being a scene to now it's just a genre that's so true and also i think like the indie music now that a lot of people consider like indie like very popular indie right now is very like more acoustic sounding also very nihilistic bring back electro pop literally yeah like it's the sound that for popular indie right now is just so different to what was popular then sky ferreira and she's back She's out of hiding. See, that's what we need. Like, Indie Sleaze is not going to come back by recreating it. We need the actual people that were in it to be on the move again. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be recreated. Like, I think there needs to be just a natural sort of, like... Resurgence. Yeah, of it. And also, like like you said, like, Hemlock Springs, like, definitely brings a new sound to Indie, which and I love Hemlock good. Springs. It's yeah. really Like, her music is really good. Mm -hmm. And she literally is, like one of the only literal bedroom pop 
girlies that I've seen in like the past couple years. Like she's literally just doing this, producing her music on her own in her bedroom. Mm -hmm. I follow her on TikTok and she would post videos of like her going to her sets. I want to go see her in concert so bad. She looks so fun. Besides electro pop, there's other bands. We made a giant playlist of it. Yeah. A giant one. We got a little a little carried away. She has a massive playlist. But it's so good. I've been listening to it. No, me too. Some of our best work, I must say. Yeah, definitely. That's such a good era for music. Oh my god. No, it really bro. is. It really is. Dare I say it was the last good era. And oh I think that god. would be fair to say. Yeah, that would be, be very fair, fair to say. Because I've been noticing, like, in my own listening habits, I've tended to turn back to other artists that I would listen to in the 2000s and it's just because I just don't really care for the new I sound like such a boomer like back in my day but I really just don't care for the new stuff that's coming out it just sounds so manufactured and like commercialized and I just am not that into it yeah yeah I was in my music wise my indie sleaze era like in high school like I was obsessed with that whole era of music me as well i was too yeah i was listening to the indie pop playlist all the time it's very it's very high school coded but yeah it's just funny how it's circling back all over again and i already feel old listening to it and like we were like just born and like children when it was popular you know that's the other thing too i know that this is very subjective depending on where you live and the radio stations that play but I was always listening to, like, the basic, like, this is the pop radio station to listen to in this area. And it was always just, like, hit after hit. And I feel like these indie sleaze classics were also being pushed on the radio. (laughs) And that just doesn't happen anymore. It's so funny to me. Because, like, now it's just, like, they're just playing like Taylor Swift and like Dua Lipa and BB Rexa. And it's just, they're just kind of playing the pop girlies. Like, where's all the, where are the indie rock bands? I was talking to my grandfather like over the summer and he was like, there aren't any bands anymore. Like, no one's forming bands. And I'm like, girl, there are, they just aren't playing them on the radio. And you only listen to the radio. And, and to him, like, he was listening to like the 60s and 70s like rock bands. So, like, if you, only listen to the radio and live through those eras yeah it would seem like no one's in bands anymore because they're not getting pushed on the radio it's these solo artists that are getting pushed yeah i mean also like it's just sad people just don't really listen to the radio that's fair streaming did change it in that yeah. regard like, but like, like why listen to the radio maybe... when you can curate your own playlist exactly but... but like if you want us to listen to the radio play some better songs yeah true yeah, I think the diversity in terms of radio stations is not really there, in my opinion. Because, like, yeah. I listened to the radio all the time as a kid because my mom didn't understand what Ox was, I think. And, like, so I... Would Ox did not exist in my household until probably, like, 2015. Literally the same. And even then, like, she did not want to listen to our music. So, yeah, which no. is <laughs> So we would listen to the radio. And, like, there's, of course, like, the decade radios for, like, they'll be, like, 70s radio or something. And, like, of course, we would go, like, 
I don't know. I feel like that would always be on, like, 60s, 70s, 80s radio. There would be, like, a slew of pop radios for pop music. And even now, like, I think they still play pop music from, like, they Probably play the like, old stuff because the stuff now is just not the same. Exactly. Like, you like, can't play that at the club. It's just funny that they have like such a distinct set of songs. Like, even the ones that like they're really popular, but like, I don't know. Like, sometimes I'm like, Photograph by Ed Sheeran. Like, is that what we're leaning on right now? Like, as someone that works in radio, tap in. Yeah, we. Oh my <laughs> we God. Don't, we don't know enough about radio. Yeah, we need to get someone from radio in here. Yeah, we need a radio. Maybe, maybe we need to work for radio. I think we need to go to Radio Shack. Oh my God. So true. We should go. <laughs> as if I'm going to, like, I don't listen to the radio. Yeah, as if don't. that, like, really matters to us. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not a radio listener. So. Oh my God. I think NPR should move into the ASMR space. Yeah. Radio ASMR. People just fall asleep at the wheel. That <laughs> <laughs> would be crazy, Brett. That would be crazy. I would regret not talking about American Apparel. Oh my god, you're so right. And all the like indie sleeves discourse that has come back over the last couple years, I feel like American Apparel is not getting her flowers like she deserves, which is wild to me. Because I know it, it impacted me at too young of an age. And I, I think I could say the same for many others. But I feel like what we were talking about, or what you guys were talking about earlier, about hedonism trying to come back, I think it also sort of couples with like sexuality not really being a thing anymore, at least not mainstream. And I think American Apparel is what capitalize on that definitely to say the least but i think it was the last era where like they really pushed the envelope in that sense and tried to see what they could get away with and i think people are trying to replicate that now but are failing because we just don't have that that little edge in regards to like hedonistic tendencies and sexuality and mainstream culture and media and what have you i think i told you guys i did a ton of research on this like a year year and a half ago i remember, projects, I remember talking yeah, about it, yeah. with like the founder he is a very controversial person yeah to say the least like you can you can google it for yourself memphis alumni has a whole episode on this a wonderful episode on it yeah a two-parter i think yeah actually. yeah yeah it's so good so listen to their episode if you want to know more about that man and research it for yourself. But he then went on to found Los Angeles Apparel. Which there which are is, billboards of everywhere in LA. Yeah, yeah. I remember being so excited to see them because I was like, oh my god, they're real. And it's interesting. I don't hate it. I think it's very apparent that he's trying to bring back what once was, which has its good and bad qualities, of course. But I don't I don't really know what to pinpoint it on in regards to like that sort of advertising just can't work today. I think there's a number of reasons as to why, but I also think it's important to consider it when talking about indie sleeves and the appeal of it visually. I think that like messiness and that sort of like chaotic aesthetic that we associate with it now 
owes a lot of credit to that advertising. I've noticed a few brands start to like embrace pushing the envelope in terms of graphic elements. Like, is it called praying? Yeah. Yeah. That one where it's like, has like the swimsuit that says, or has like a shirt that says God's favorite. Yeah. Addison Ray was yeah. wearing it. The bathing suit. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think also in past episode, like Killian Murphy's skirt. Oh, mighty. Yeah. Yes. Oh, mighty. <laughs> The shock factor in terms of like phrases on a shirt that you would probably not like to have on a shirt that's literally the iCarly formula yep mm-hmm. iCarly deserves its flowers now that I think about it you know that was kind of that was kind of indie sleaze I would have to say they were I also saw a TikTok that I added to our indie sleaze TikTok collection that was the Fred movie they were like why was Fred an indie sleaze sleeper and it was just like that's so shots funny. of the party scene. And I was like, that's actually really accurate. It really was like trashy party girl. Oh my God. When we all hung out, we watched. Oh, Dana Baby 97. That to me is very indie sleaze. Yeah. In terms of editing, like the way the video's edited, and like. They were kind of like just missed the indie sleaze era. And so they just kind of replicated it for themselves in their teenage years very like teenage dirtbag core yeah i think that's also like oh my god do you hear me i i just did another core no i think that's fair though like that's a very i'm being too loose with these labels distinguished i think that's distinguished aesthetic though like it's okay you can pinpoint it i think it has a lot of attributes and that can fit under its umbrella. Also, an indie sleaze classic, I would have to say, would be Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yeah. So true. Have you guys... I haven't watched it yet, admittedly, but there's this documentary called Meet Me in the Bathroom. It's about like the early 2000s indie rock revival. It's named after a stroke song. So it's like them, Interpol, Yeah, Yeah, Yes, that whole... New York rock era. I've seen a lot of people talking about it in reference to indie sleeves. How, like, if you want a good visual for it as well as the sound of it, watch that documentary. Oh, should we talk about Saltburn now in terms of media? Visually, as a signifier of interest of that time. Because when you think about it, that movie did not need to take place in. The 2000s it could have been a present day movie but there's obviously it was chosen to be during that time frame for a reason so i think that definitely shows interest in that era yeah i think also the vibrancy of it obviously going into it i was like i knew this is going to be some kind of like indie sleaze mishmash of like in terms of aesthetics and like things like that but i was just like wow Put this in the Louvre. Like, it's so gorgeous. I love it so much. Shimmer, glitter, eyeshadow is important. I also, like, Tierney, I know you said you only watched half of the movie, but the party scene at the end is, like, my dream party. It was, the theme was A Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm. Just the aesthetic of it is just, like, so beautiful. For visual reference, it's giving What Does the Fox Say music video. (laughs) Very, like, animalistic. Yeah. Which is literally, like, that is my dream 
that's crazy <laughs> that's like my dream I've been obsessed with that like the visuals oh, go I encourage you to watch that music video again because even okay. though it's a joke music video it's very visually beautiful I'll revisit it I think animal heads like do you guys <laughs> I had an animal horse head like the latex ones but I feel like that is very indie sleaze like the mixture of like oh my god Bojack Horseman like kind of giving indie sleaze <laughs> 2010 this album came out I'm thinking of The Head in the Heart by The Head in the Heart the album cover I can send a picture to you guys just this like creepy it's like a guy with like a lamb mask on and a cigarette in his mouth and he's got white shirt black tie leather jacket and he's sitting next to a girl with a blonde bob and a brown coat it's kind of dead on oh my god yeah. yeah that's sick i don't know why that made me just like think of the vampire weekend contra about the girl yeah i love that i love the drama behind that cover yeah wait can you rec- i remember seeing that i don't okay i don't remember exact exact details but essentially they used that polaroid i forget they found it somewhere i believe or like the photographer they were working with had it something like that all this to say like the woman in the photo did not know the band vice versa they used the photo anyways without like getting permission from her and she didn't know about it until i believe it was her daughter who showed her the photo and were like what the hell like since when were you on this cover she's like i had no idea about that so they used the photo like without her consent and she didn't know about it until it was already released into the world so there was i believe there was a legal battle with it and everything i'm not sure what came of it but it's just funny to me because it became so iconic and she literally had no idea it's a great photo no it is a really good photo yeah i love that album so much that's one that i listen to repeatedly i love vampire weekend they're fun a punk classic campus even that is getting that's our right any life stands life stands (laughs) (laughs) apparently the first album cover of the chandelier is from like the inside of some like very exclusive club slash society at columbia wait that's so cool yeah there was a weird sense of preppiness about it just because i think it's a young adult thing it's like college just that sort of thing oh my god i have to talk about skins oh so yeah true. Skins UK. you guys haven't seen it right no I th- i've seen a few episodes okay okay i won't go too crazy but again there is no talking about indie sleeves without mentioning skins uk i think especially like the revival of Effie Stoneham as an icon is so amazing to me because I loved her when I was watching Skins when I was way too young. But I th- feel like that is such an accurate representation of the Indie Sleaze era as it was happening. Queen of Smudged Eyeliner. Oh, so good. Yeah, the outfit's incredible. All the party scenes from that show, also incredible. And I'm I'm glad it's making a comeback. I am. Although, again, with everything making a comeback, I think people are trying to replicate it and it's not going to work because Skins was just, it it was its own time. I think they had, like, the teenage actors writing episodes, too. Like, I know Daniel Kaluuya was, like, writing episodes. That's what, that's the first thing I ever saw him in. 
And every time I think of him, I think of him. In Possibly space. Dev Patel as well, but I know definitely Daniel Kaluuya was writing episodes. That's right. Dev Patel was in it as well. At like Crazy. 17 years old. Yeah, they look like literal babies. Yeah, that show's amazing. I recommend, honestly. It's such a good time capsule of that era. So good, so fun. The soundtrack goes crazy, too. There's such a UK aspect, or, like, European aspect to Indie Sleaze. And, like, it's showcased in Slumpern pretty well, I think. Because I think, like, their sort of college life, in, in an American's eyes, is true preppiness. You know what I mean? Like, their style of wear and things like that. And also the architecture of, like, I guess in Saltburn it's Oxford, but, like, that sort of architecture to me is very indie sleaze. And, like, plastering glitter on that image. I did read another article that was talking about the founder of the indie sleaze Instagram account. Her name's Olivia. She's from Canada. And the article is just kind of saying that she, by coining the term indie sleaze and posting all these pictures kind of merged the UK scene with the scene that was happening in America which to me I think or sorry North America because she's from Canada to me I feel like the North American scene is like distinctly New York City I don't know why that is I don't know if it's just because of like I'm associating it in my own brain with like New Year's Eve but just like the glitter kind of underground club scene. Maybe it's because of like bands like The Strokes that were emerging from New York at the time, but I definitely associate it with New York. Should we talk about The Strokes and The Killer's beef? Yeah. I don't know about the beef, so I want to hear from you guys about it. Pretty much The Strokes put their first album out first. And when Brandon Flowers, frontman of The Killers, heard the album... He literally said in an article, he like talked about this like years later. He said listening to their album, Is This It, made him depressed <laughs> because he was like, oh, our stuff isn't as good as this. So then they scrapped the entire album that they had aside from Mr. Brightside and started completely over and put out Hot Fuss, which is probably why that album is absolutely no skips like it's kind of just hit after hit with that album because he was only putting the baddest heifers on the block out there so (laughs) so real and then i think um guitarist in the strokes albert hammond jr is there another guitarist because i don't think i think I yeah there's nick valency okay yeah i think it was nick then he said in an article that the strokes were mad that the killers were getting more radio play than them because they're like we know our music is better so why is everyone listening to them instead (laughs) they were just bitter about it but i think that's funny it's like comparing apples and oranges because they're kind of their music isn't really similar that era of like indie rock was very much i guess the creation of garage rock and then this kind of turn back to like new wave music And they both represent that, whereas, like, The Strokes is more garage rock and The Killers were very heavily inspired by New Wave. So it's like, why are we even comparing them in the first place? Love them both, though. Yeah. I am a Strokes girly at my core. And I know you're a Killers girly at your core. They're both amazing. Do you guys think that Indie Sleaze is having a revival? I don't think in its purest form. I don't think... I think it's, like, kind of a 
disjointed revival in a way like there are certain things that are coming back but i think that's just like i don't think it's like a true revival the clothes are too baggy the indie is not pop enough no random parties that with like a bunch of celebrities in it having interactions the fandom wars are getting in the way of this <laughs> it could be the inkling or like the seedling of a revival like maybe next year is when like something truly happens but i think it's too disjointed at this time i think aesthetically it's having a little bit of a comeback but in spirit not so much yeah people are just turning back to the music of that time and smudged eyeliner and we looking clothes it's mimicry it's not really anything meaningful i don't think yeah from a makeup perspective, it's too structured. Makeup is too like straight lines. Like yes, yeah. indie sleaze is kind of no makeup. Honestly, it's literally just yeah. like your dirty eyeshadow and mascara. Makeup you slept in and then like kind of cleaned up with a makeup wipe. I've seen it a lot on like runways though, which is interesting. Like with Celine, we put it in the TikTok collection. But for the last couple years, they've done very, like, indie, sleaze-inspired collections. I think Alexa Chung mentions it in her article that we keep referencing, too. They called it, like, the age of indie-ness. Whatever pops up in the collections for, like, the season to come is always very telling of what's really going to hit mainstream. So I'm sure we'll be seeing indie, sleaze-inspired stuff in, like, H&M and Forever 21 and all that by the spring. I wouldn't be mad at it, but I agree with you guys that I think it's more focused on the aesthetic than it is on, like, the energy of it, which makes it feel superficial. Also, I'm remembering I did some research of Mandy Lee in an article that I found. She's kind of like, listen, like, my prediction is just a prediction. Like, we'll see what happens. Like, she wasn't really, like, this is what I'm saying, so take my word for it. This is what's happening. And she talked about reading an interview with icon legend superstar Lynn Yeager, where she says that fashion is just a combination of new ideas on the same thing. And I think that's kind of what's happening. It's not really going to be a direct revival of Indie Sleaze. It's going to be, okay, we're going to take what we like from Indie Sleaze and make something new from it. Oh, it has whipped cream on it? They they didn't know what it was, so they made some kind of weird thing. Okay, sorry. I read off your head preliminarily. Okay, what? What'd you get? What'd you get? A latte with brown sugar cookie syrup, and I think they like short circuited or something. <laughs> and like, all I asked is a latte with brown sugar syrup, and they're like, um, here's a latte with whipped cream, vanilla, brown sugar cookie syrup, oatmeal, oh, not oatmeal, oatmeal and whipped cream. This is what I wrote down to my brother to get. I said, small brown sugar cookie iced latte with whole milk. Taste it. I want to know. Taste test. I'm scared. I don't like the, the Dunkin' Oat Milk. This is the first Bev review on the pop. So true. Literally a milkshake. Okay, for sip. 
god. It's very sweet. <laughs> it's fine. It's not bad. It doesn't taste bad. It's just... It's very sweet. Right out of ten. Like a six. A six. Yeah. It looks good. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. The Dunkins in the South are not the same as the ones in the Northeast, I have to say. Signing off of 2023. Well, you guys did that at the same time. It was like, exactly. I hope everyone listens to Sleepyhead by Passion Pit the minute it strikes midnight as a way to ring in the new year. I hope everyone does that. Wear lots of glitter, smudge that eyeliner, sleep in your makeup. Sleep in your makeup. That's the only way we're walking into 2024. Okay, bye. Bye.